chapter 9 of Genesis, the covenant with Noah, or the Noahic covenant. They are off the ark. Last week, we saw them taking the clean animals and sacrificing some of them to worship in God. And God said, oh, it's such a sweet aroma. Yes, the barbecue smelled good, no doubt, but it wasn't it. It was their hearts of surrender and worship and thankfulness. It was a real deal with Noah and his sons, and God blessed them. And here again, we're going to see that once again. In chapter 8, it says, And God remembered Noah, (laughs) a way of of saying that he once looked again upon Noah and his situation, um, getting them off the ark. And now, after this time of worship, we ended there in chapter 8, verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and the day and night shall not cease. And we sang together the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, where it quotes this and quotes some earlier verses in in Genesis. Beautiful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And it really is spot on in those words and the other words that are other verses. But in chapter 9, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So how is God looking at this? It's like a second start, because this is what he said to Adam and Eve, remember? And so um, everybody's gone. And it's sort of Adam and Eve again, but a few extra, you know, you got Adam and Eve, Noah and Mrs. Noah, and and you got the three sons. So, uh, but man, it's a big earth. And um, there's a lot of multiplying that needs to go on. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air and all that moves on the earth and all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, so you shall not eat, so you shall not eat the flesh, its life, that is, its blood. So it's different this time. If you guys will remember in Genesis 1, verse 29 and 30, he told Adam and Eve that they're vegetarians and all the animals are vegetarians. God said in verse 29 of chapter 1, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, as it was. So everything was vegetarian before the flood, including the animals. So, uh, and there wasn't a sense of dread with the animals because man's not killing them and they don't have to have a sense of dread of another animal killing them. They didn't have that. So Jurassic Park, guys, never happened, <laughs> okay? When, when man was around with all of those, we call them prehistoric, which is not true because they're in our history, prehistoric to those who don't believe in the Bible. It's before history, but not for us. It's in our history. 
They were climbing up and down on um, those dinosaurs. I, I don't know if you've seen the YouTube guy. There, there's a guy who does all kinds of tricks with this elephant of his. I don't know if he's in Africa or where, but he, this elephant is genius. And he can get this elephant to flip him in the air and jumps on his back and does all kinds of stuff. Of course, you know, years ago when we used to go to um, SeaWorld, it amazed me how these giant whales are cooperating and putting him up in the air and they're riding on him and they're doing, you know, it just absolutely amazes me when I hear about that. Now the anointing will come. Watch out. The jacket's off. Brace yourself. And uh, so, um, yeah, I think they were just, the, the animals were at peace. They're eating. Everything's vegetarian. Man's vegetarian. But now, no. Now, animals that used to be at peace walking around you, they're now going to run. They're going to be running away from you. And a big part of that is because you're going to be hunting them. <laughs> So it's not going to be, hey, I want a deer. Hey, here, come here, baby. You know, okay, there's my deer. It's not going to work that way. They're going to be afraid of you running away. Now, in Genesis earlier, he told them that Adam and Eve, they're going to have dominion over all things and all things, they are to subdue all things. That doesn't seem to be the case now. There doesn't seem to be that kind of cooperation where it, there was a sense that Adam and Eve were the king of the jungle, so to speak. And all animals saw themselves subservient to man. Even though they have a dread of man, that doesn't mean that the animal may not turn and attack them. Very different world uh, before the flood and after the flood. It is interesting on this point that the Antichrist... And the demonic spirits of the last days are going to target. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 5, the Spirit expressly says, In the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. What are these spirits, these deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons that are causing some to depart from the faith? What is it? They're speaking lies and hypocrisy. We don't know anything about that these days. Um, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, they're believing their own lies. They really believe this stuff. And interesting, forbidding to marry. Boy, there's a book by um, Ken Ham, and I'm reading it right now. It's the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and he shows that all doctrines are built upon those first 11 chapters of Genesis. And, and here it's interesting. Marriage is being attacked and then commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by which those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So he is saying they're going to come and they're going to say Adam and Eve thing. No, 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 no marriage. And then they're going to say, oh, the food thing, we're going to try to turn that upside down on its head. And Christians, people that are, know the doctrines of the Bible or should know the Bible, they're just sucked right into that. Of course, uh, you know, us in Calvary chapels are unique. We really know the Bible. 
I mean, some of you, if you were a part of another church before you went to a Calvary Chapel, you might remember that. When you, you know, I had been a Christian my whole life in a Methodist type of church, and I went into Calvary Chapel, and it's like, man, I am an idiot compared to these people. They all know their Bibles. And man, and, and then I, you know, I was reading the Bible, so I was learning so much because they really, even some of them only been a Christian a few months, but they really knew the Bible. And so a lot of Christians don't. A lot of people, most denominations don't really teach the Bible. So they don't have the foundation that you guys here have. Well, in verse 4 there, also he points out, but you shall not eat the flesh with its light. That is, the blood still in it. Uh, in Leviticus 17, 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For the blood that makes atonement is for the soul. So, wow, in God's mind, it, he's making everything. I was just looking in Job this week, once again, a, a verse we talked about earlier where it said, and when God laid the foundations of the deep and the angels sang. <laughs> I mean, there's so much we don't know about chapter one. You know, I, I wonder if the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, didn't have an architectural room, you know, where they're just, you know, they're in there, you know, let's make a ladybug like this. What do you guys think? Oh, I love it. Okay, you know. Let's make some fish. Man, they came up with some crazy ideas with those fish, didn't they? And birds. And then, you know, they rolled it all out. But when, when he, God said, let there be light, the angels are, man, they're singing. They're making songs. They're, they're worshiping in the midst of this. So much we don't know. But God said, I made things with blood in it, which blood is amazing. It really is one of the most amazing things on earth, for sure, in our human body. And the reason I did is because I knew man one day would need atonement. And more importantly, of course, that his son would be able to shed his blood for our salvation. In Leviticus 17, 14, it also says, For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains life. Therefore, I said that the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the flesh of all, for the life of all flesh is in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. In Deuteronomy 12, 23, only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you may not eat the life of the meat. There's so many things that the blood is mentioned to do within the scripture. Here's sort of a list I got from Dave Guzik's commentary. It says, blood was the sign of the mercy for Israel at the first Passover. Remember, they put the blood on the door in Exodus 12, 13. Blood sealed God's covenant with Israel, Exodus 24, in uh, the Passover. Blood sanctified the altar, Exodus 29, 12. Blood set aside the priest and, and, and purified them, Exodus 29, 20. Blood made atonement for God's people, Exodus 30, verse 10. Blood sealed the new covenant, Matthew 26, 28. The blood justifies us, 
Romans 5, 9. The blood brings redemption, Ephesians 1, 7. Blood brings peace with God, Colossians 1, 20. Blood cleanses us, Hebrews 9, 14 and 1 John 1, 7. Blood gives entrance to God's holy place, Hebrews 10, 19. We can go now into the holy of holies because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood sanctifies us, Hebrews 13, 12. The blood enables us to overcome Satan in Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the word of their testimony and the blood of the lamb. So most of all, and, and this is a very detailed in Hebrews 9 and 10. Um, in my personal notes, I had those chapters all laid out and got them all bolded. When I teach at the Bible college, I'll go into all of that. But in essence, God created the blood for a new covenant. Knowing that man would sin, he said that the seed of the woman will crush his head, and it is the blood of Christ that crushes Satan's head. The life is in the blood. He had to come into human flesh that he would have blood, his own blood, that he could give for our redemption and salvation, that we can go into the holy of holies, that we can overcome Satan, that we can not only be justified by his blood, but be sanctified by his blood. And we continue to come into the new and living way by the blood of Jesus Christ. Powerful. That's all we have time for here tonight. So moving on, uh, obviously we can get stuck there for quite a while, but I would encourage you to read Hebrews 9 and 10 and think about those things. In Genesis 9, verse 5 through 7 here, Surely, for your life blood, I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast, I will require it. From the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever shed man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For it is the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. So it sounds like there's a song or a poem or, or something to help them to memorize this moment where God gives them these instructions. Here it, it says the end of it. And I bless you and I, I'm, be abundant and or, uh, multiply, be fruitful and multiply in this. And anybody, he says at the beginning of this, remember that God from this point forward is going to require the death penalty when somebody murders somebody. Now, when we go into the law, it's different for first degree murder versus second degree murder versus manslaughter. But um, we're not going to go into those details, but he basically is saying there is from this point going to be a human government judging other men. And the death penalty is um, what I require. He didn't do that with Cain. He didn't do that with Lamech, uh, Cain's son who, who killed um, some men. But God said, now after we're getting off the ark here, the covenant I'm making with you is a new covenant. And even though the first 1,600 years I didn't, re I didn't lay down uh, this principle, it was true. It just, it wasn't enforced, but now I'm enforcing it. Again, laws do not make good people better. All laws can do is suppress the evil in all of us. I mean, 
how fast would you be going on the freeway if there was no sign, speed sign? If there was no possibility for a ticket, how fast exactly would you be going? Would you be alive right now? Um, but the, the, the point of the law is, is the punishment has to fit the crime or the crime will increase. And as we go through, the, the first rule is you got to see man as a sinner, a man potential of all points of evil. Uh, the new progressive people today, like our guy in L.A. here, Gaston, he believes people are basically good. And if you give them good education, good food, good housing, they won't commit crimes. The reason we have crimes, because people are poor and educated. It just goes completely against the truth of God and what he says about mankind. He says no. He says that we are evil. And we need to have laws in place that would make you say, I really want to kill that guy, but I don't want to be killed myself, so I won't kill him. But in our day and age, it's I really want to kill that guy. And one, you know, they, they got to get me through this court system, which... If you got enough money and, and uh, you're slick, you, you can get out of even the fact that you're uh, guilty, that you can be found innocent or be found, you know, hung jury and, and they give up on prosecuting you. But worst case scenario, if I, if I get it, you know, I'm there a few years and I get out and I still got a big part of my life. There really isn't a deterrent. And so therefore we're seeing more horrible crimes and death. But here he, he makes it clear um, a matter of fact, he even says if an animal kills a man, that the animal should be put to death. In Exodus 21, 28, he says that if an ox should suddenly uh, or gore a man or a woman, it should be stoned to death. But he also talks about if a man is being negligent, he was warned that the ox is goring people and he doesn't put that ox down and then somebody gets gored, the man's to be put to death as well for negligence. Well, going on in verse 8, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. You know that covers everybody, right? Everybody can go back to Noah and his sons. Of course, we can all go back to Adam and Eve as well. But um, now, this new second start, so to speak, um, where we're not all vegetarians, we can eat meat, and, and the death penalty is going to be now the law of God for, for murder. And now he, he is saying here that this is a covenant with all of mankind, in essence. With every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, and all that goes out of the ark, every beast of the earth, thus I will establish my covenant with you, Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So he makes it clear to all mankind and to all the animals, interesting enough. He said there'll never be another worldwide flood. I won't do that. Didn't say there wouldn't be local floods, but not a worldwide flood. Um, interesting. God does say that the next time he is going to destroy the world, he is not going to do it with water, but with fire. In 2 Peter 3, verse 5 through 7, for this 
They willfully forget that the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for, notice, the fire until the day of judgment and perdition of the ungodly men. So what you're seeing as God preserved before the flood, is the heart of man was evil continually and wicked was abounding. He said, man, I'm going to, a moment in time, I'm going to flood this whole world and everything's going to die except that on the ark. Well, he's saying that's, that's happening now. Um, he is getting started a little earlier on California than the rest of the world, evidently. Um, but uh, eventually, everything's going to be melted with the fervent heat. And there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. Well, verse 12 now. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all the flesh and water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, Again, skeptics would say, okay, we see the rainbow and we attribute to the rainbow uh, this thing about God. But again, we, we go back, there's so many things like that in the Bible. Remember, it says that God made man from dirt. From dirt we came from, dirt will return. Is that true? We discovered that the same elements in the human body are indeed the same elements in most dirt around the earth. And in a matter of time, we will Become dirt. You can't tell the difference between us and dirt. Um, and so that may sound like a myth, but it's actually scientifically, even though it was a pre-scientific statement, science bears it out today that that is the truth. And many other things. We, when most of the world didn't believe the world was round, the Bible says it's round. Um, and so there, you can keep going. And so this is one of those things where Evidently, I think, before the flood, since there was a water canopy all above us, I think the whole sky maybe wasn't a blue sky with clouds. There were no clouds. But I think the whole sky had the rainbow look as you're looking up at the waters that are keeping us from ozone rain and, and men can live almost infinitely. They end up living a, a, almost a 1,000 years. Noah, we're going to see tonight, is going to live to be 950 years. When we looked at the genealogy and uh, chapter 5, the one guy lived to be 962 years. But then, of course, Methuselah lived a, just a few years longer. He lived 969 years. Um, so Noah was the third longest living man, interesting enough. And so God said, now I'm going to make it so you can see, I think, what used to be there. But interesting, it's also a picture of what is in heaven. Um, and, and it is a picture of, of a part of God's appearance in heaven. 
In Ezekiel 1.28, like the appearance of a rainbow in the cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. Ezekiel talking about this heavenly vision. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice of one speaking. So this brightness came out. When I looked at it, it was like looking at a rainbow. So he didn't just see God's face, but he saw this rainbow and, and he knew it, and it was the presence of God. And out of that rainbow, the Lord spoke. In Revelation 4, 3, and he who sat there was like jasper, which is like a clear diamond, and sardis, like a ruby red, a stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an emerald greenish. And... Um, in Revelation 10.1, I saw still another mighty angel. I believe it's Jesus. I'm not going to go into why. But he came down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. So um, I, I think this is, again, a, a sort of a heavenly picture of God when we see that rainbow. And it's like God speaking this is the new covenant I'm giving to Noah, his sons, and every person and animal following uh, them. In verse 18 and 19, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. Now you're saying, well, why are you talking about Ham's son and not the other guy's son? Well, you're going to find out in just a second. These three were the sons of Noah. From these, the whole earth was populated. So if you want, you could jump over to chapter 10, because that's what we're going to see, the table of nations from these three guys. We're going to look at that next week along the Tower of Babel and beginning to look at Abraham all next week. And so going on, now Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard, then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Now, I just, I just want to stop here and make a real quick note on alcohol. The first time, you know, we, we, as we go through Genesis, I keep pointing out, this is the first time, the word redemption, the first time, whatever the word is. So this is the first time that we are introduced to wine. Makes you wonder if they even had the ability before the flood to do this. I don't know. But we have it the first time mentioned, and it is taking down one of the three most godly men in the Old Testament. Ezekiel tells us, you got Noah, you got Daniel, and you got Job. Those three guys, they stood against their culture like no other man. Their entire culture was completely pagan. Daniel would not, even if you're going to kill me, I won't eat the meat, sacrifice to those idols. We won't, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we won't bow down to that idol. You got Job. Everybody in the world was against him. Wife, all his, kid, all his best friends, but he would not bend at all in his faith in God and his certainty that uh, if God was allowing this to come upon him, there was a grand reason. And you got Noah. He was the only one right. Everybody else was wrong. Man, the majority opinion. 
democracy, that'll save us. Well, they had democracy, and they were all wrong. There was only one man right, that was Noah. Whether his sons, I don't know. When Lot left Sodom, his wife and two daughters went with him. It didn't go so well for his wife or his daughters. But Lot was a righteous man whose righteous soul was vexed every day. And so here we just sort of need to think about that. That wine, the first usage of that word, is in relation to drunkenness. And it took down the mightiest. I've told my kids, if anything can end in addiction, just don't start it. <laughs> That's simple. Can gambling end in addiction? Yes. Can pornography end up in addiction? Yes. Can drinking, smoking, doing drugs end up in addiction? Yes. Just don't start it. I don't care how great it is. The downside of it is too great. It's just that simple. In um, Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, the wisest man in the world said. Strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray in it is not wise. You say, well, it's drunkenness. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, but I'll tell you what, I've been around good friends of mine, Christians, who they were tipsy, and I could tell their personality change, and they were being much more gregarious than they normally were with wine only, they didn't think so. And I'm like, it's affected you. You think it's not affected you, and that's part of the effect of wine. You don't know when it's affecting you. In Proverbs 23, 29 to 35, he says, but who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contention, who has complaints, and has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? And then he goes on and, and he says, it's those who linger long at the wine, those who are searching for mixed wine, um, he goes on to say that the wine ends up biting them like a serpent and stinging them like a viper, uh, and their eyes end up seeing strange things. Their heart goes after perverse things, and I can tell you that. I, so many men our days, they end up getting thrown in jail for child molestation or video, you know, sending some picture to some, ends up being some teenager, they end up in prison. Every time they're like, it wasn't me, it was the drugs, it was the alcohol. I believe it. I believe it. They, their, their heart was perverted and, and the stimulant was affecting their frontal lobe, keeping them from acting on impulses they never would have acted on had they been sober. I, I believe it, but it doesn't matter. It's still you who did it. They have struck me, but I didn't feel it. They beat me, but didn't hurt me. And I wake up saying, I need a drink. <laughs> that was Solomon's word on, on alcohol. Well, in verse 22, it goes on to say here, And Ham, the father of Canaan, again, that's going to be important here, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers. The word told there in the Hebrew, it is tell with glee. So, He's like, hey, where's dad, you know? Now I think they might have been living apart and, you know, it was dad's birthday or there was some kind of celebration and they, you know, the whole family ended up being around because I don't think they stayed around very long. I think they spread out and multiplied. But either way, they happened to all be there at this particular time. And Noah, when they looked for dad, they finally 
been screaming for him, but he didn't answer. And they're like, well, is he in the tent? Well, he would have heard us. I, you know, but he, anyway, Ham opens up the tent, and there's Noah, naked, completely drunk. You know, when you get uh, intoxicated like that, you get hot, and you take your clothes off or whatever. And, um, and he was... He was like, oh, man, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, is, <laughs> he's drunk, oh, man. I, he was loving it for whatever reason. Maybe he had resentment towards his dad, or maybe, you know, he thought his dad needed to be knocked down a peg or two, and he's sort of glad to see that this is happening. But, but Noah was a sinner like you and me. The, the Bible's just making that clear. One of the greatest Righteous men found, great, found grace in the eyes of God. He was righteous in his generation. He was a preacher of righteousness. He was a prophet. He walked by faith and his ways pleased the Lord. Even though he was one man against the whole world and stood strong. Doing an incredible thing, building a giant boat. <laughs> Huge boat. Yet. The last thing reported in the Bible about Noah is that he was drunk in the tent. And we'll hear more about Noah after this. That's the last we'll hear of Noah. What is God trying to say through that? He's trying to say that no matter how great our heroes may be, we need to remember that they're sinful men like you and me. Because so often, when people write a book on Abraham Lincoln or George Washington, they, they, they romanticize them, don't they? You know, they were the most honest guy at their time. They were, you know, the best husband, and they were the best American, and they did every, you know, they tell about all the things they did right, which isn't bad in and of itself, as long as you do understand that they also, you know, kicked their dog and screamed at their wife and, and, and they had their bad elements in their life as well. We all do. But if you say, oh, no, 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 no. If Abraham wasn't perfect, I, I don't want him to be one of my heroes then. If George Washington wasn't perfect, then I don't want him to be my hero. Well, if you demand perfection or nothing, you will get nothing. Because the Bible is a realistic book. And so often people get jaded towards Christianity. They're jaded because we've told them that becoming a Christian will make you perfect without sin, cause you to live this righteous life that doesn't really exist to the degree that they're being told from the pulpit. I, like Paul, purposed in my heart not to preach myself, but Christ. And when I do talk about myself, I usually talk about the things I failed. Rarely the things I did right. Because that's just too long of a list, all the things I did right. Oh, hold on, I just did that. But in reality, kids grow up saying, ah, see some hypocrisy. I don't see everybody being as righteous as they're saying from the pulpit. That old pastor, you know, I can't tell you how many pastor's kids and missionary's kids have told me, you know, on the way to church, dad's giving them a lecture. Don't tell anybody at church, ah, I cussed mom out last night, you know, do not, I'll get fired. You know, that, and these kids are like, 
going to, you know, paralyze, hoping that they don't slip up and say something that destroys dad's life. And they have these little conversations years after years. No, the Bible tells us we can be honest who we are. Abraham lied, not once, but twice because of fear, saying, no, that's not my wife, that's my sister. (laughs) Miriam got leprosy because she was bitter at her two brothers. We can go all the way through the Bible. David, the man after God's own heart, horribly committed adultery, adultery and then murdered to try to cover it up. We can go all the way through the Bible and find very few men that don't have the Bible saying, admire them, make them your heroes. But they're sinners like you. And that should give us hope. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I feel sorry for the guy, amen? But he distinguished himself in praying a lot more than the average Christian or the average believer of his days. And God took those prayers and brought the entire nation to its knees, turned it from bell worship back to the Lord. And so can you, if you're willing to pray as Elijah prayed. King David was a man after God's own heart, but he was a sinner like you and me, and it's to give us hope. Not to discourage us, to say, oh man, if David's not perfect, then who can be perfect? Nobody, that's it. God didn't look for perfect people. In First John, it says, Walk in the light as he is in the light. If you walk in darkness, then, then you have no fellowship with God. But then he goes on in verse 7. He says, but if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you'll have fellowship with one another. And what? The blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all sin. If I walk in the light as he is in the light, I still need to be cleansed from sin? Yes. Well, what is darkness? What is light? It's being honest. The very verse 8 says, if you say you have no sin, then God can't help you. But if you're honest, walking in the light, and you're saying, yes, I confess that that's sin, even though I'm trying to live righteous, even though I, I'm trying to be the man of God, yet I've sinned. Then he's faithful and righteous to forgive you that sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We'll see this many times. We'll see it in Abraham. We'll see it in Isaac. Of course, Jacob. Nobody's uh, questioning that there, right? (laughs) Well, Ham. Let's continue on here. So Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and with glee told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backwards and covered their nakedness and their father, and their faces were turned away. Literally, they didn't look backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Wow. One son dishonored. Two sons honored. Do you realize how big a deal this is about honoring your parents? 
boy, hang on there. Let's look at some verses. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Colossians 3, 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. In Leviticus 19, verse 2 and 3. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths, and I am the Lord your God. We often say, what is it to be holy as God is holy? Well, he tells us here, it's to have great reverence for your parents and to keep the Sabbath. But we think of Jesus, okay, did Jesus honor his father? There's too many verses on this subject. But here's three of them. In John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In John 14, 31, But so the world may know that I love the Father, and I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up and go your way from here. In John 5, 19, therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. And of course, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. On the flip side of that coin, in Leviticus 20, verse 9, for everyone who curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. He has he has cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. In Proverbs 20, 20, whoever curses his father and his mother, his lamp will be put out in darkness. Wow. I, I think it even gets more challenging to honor your parents as you get older. You get your teen years, junior high years, the, you finally learn the antennas, the critical think, and everybody's a hypocrite, and you see everybody's hypocrisy, and then high school gets a little harder, and then you become adult and get your own family, it's still often difficult. Uh, and then, of course, as your parents get older, and you're dealing with this old person who's now more like a kindergartner than an adult, it gets even harder to honor them. And uh, so again here, it's a, it's a radical, powerful thing that happens the two brothers going backwards to honor their dad. They literally covered up his sin. In 1 Peter 4.8, we know that, don't we? Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover the multitude of sins. We know the verses like Galatians 6.1. It says, if you see your brother in sin, you who are spiritual, restore. It means fix a broken bone to that one and then consider yourself because you're going to fall at some point in time as well. There's no temptation that's not overtaken you that hasn't been something that is common to all men. Jesus taught us, blessed are the merciful, so they shall receive what? Mercy. Man, I'll tell you what, if you haven't been, you know, given out the mercy and bucket loads and now you need mercy, you know, you're going to really wish that you had been merciful. Of course, in Luke 6, 36, the, therefore be merciful just as your father is merciful. And he goes on to say, 
Don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, and give, and it'll be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. This is what we're going to see. Ham had a deep disrespect for his dad, was glad to see that his dad had fallen. He wasn't this devout believer, prophet, preacher of righteousness guy. He was out of his mind, saliva down his cheek, just ugh, drunk, passed out. And it's 11 o'clock in the morning and he's drunk. And his heart was like, oh, this is wonderful. I got to share it. Well, there's only two other guys around besides me, you know. So he shared it with the whole world, basically, right? Um, and, uh, and when they heard it, their immediate was, let's just get past this as quickly as we can. And they got a blanket and just had an idea where he was and, and covered him up. And um, at some point, he woke up and, and he had recollection to some degree. And verse 24, so Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge in Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Wow. Now, some people ask the question right away, going, Hold it. <laughs> you know, here's grandson Canaan getting blasted. And he's like, man, I wasn't even, you know, I was just a three-year-old kid at the time, and I get blasted. What's going on here? Well, there's a couple of different things. One, God had already blessed Noah and his three sons, so that couldn't be undone, possibly. We know it's not the sin of the father being passed on to the son. In Ezekiel 18, verse 19 and 20, God sets that straight. He just said, never happens. I've never once punished a child for his father's sins. But sometimes it looks close to that. Because if you have a foolish dad, you probably are going to get foolish kids. Right? If you've got a lazy dad, you're probably going to end up with lazy kids. Right? And if you've you got a dad that's lacking in character, what, what way? He doesn't honor his father. He, he hates the fact that his dad is so holy and righteous and goody-two-shoe and, you know. I mean, what kind of man did Noah have to be to stand for 500 years and then another 100 years building this ark while the world just piled it on? persecuting him, belittling him. Do you know how big that thing was? There was, there was not another boat that big until 1850. Thousands and thousands of years of human history before anybody did what he did. But you know, in 1850, it wasn't three guys building the ark or building that boat in 1850, was it? It was thousands of guys building that boat. And it wasn't out of gopher wood, was it? 
So again, it was horrendous, but yet Ham in his heart didn't have character. And in essence, Noah, I think, is saying, you know what? God's showing me that that lack of character, that lack of love, that lack of respect is going to show up in your children and their children and their children. And they're not going to be somebody God's going to be able to honor. And they're not going to be somebody God's going to be able to bless. And they're going to find themselves always getting the short end of the stick and never quite able to be successful. They're going to be always the servant and not the Lord in whatever relationship they are. Why is God saying this? To tell us, now, go home and honor your parents. Ah, sure, definitely the message there. I think more than that. I think he's saying we affect our families. Whether we know it or not, the lack in us does get go on. And I think in the other side of the coin too, the great things God does in us and the character that's developed in us also passes on that success. But we really do need to stop and realize in a powerful way that I want to be walking in the character of like Christ, which is great lead up for Sunday's message. Uh, Philippians 2 uh, verses 5 through 11, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And that is the message, really is. Well, finishing up here, verse 28 and 29. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. That's a long time. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. The third longest living man. Wow. To live that long. Well, we are. A thousand years in the millennial reign. Jesus will be on the throne of David in Jerusalem, teaching in the world, the highways will be built. We can actually go to Jerusalem and listen to him teach and then go back to the providence that we're kings and priests over. And there's a river coming right out of the throne, separating the Dead Sea and the, the ocean. There'll be a river there. The Dead Sea won't be dead anymore. And that river will be the leaves that grow will be healings for the nation. We can go and drink and bathe in that living water and all our wounds healed. And a a person 100 years old will be but a mere child. And all the animals of the earth will be at peace with us again and we with them. The dread of any animal to another animal will not be there. A baby can go right into a viper's hole and there's no concern that the viper would hurt that child whatsoever. So we are going to actually get to see for a thousand years. Wow. That's pretty cool. We're going to sort of get the the paradise, if you would, for a thousand years at the end, not the beginning. I think we got the better better stick, right? A thousand years at the end is a whole lot better than at the beginning because we know what Adam and Eve went through. Well, Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Keep putting it deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts because we know, Lord, that this word, your word, Lord, is life, and we need this life. Hmm. Hide your word deep into our hearts right now.